Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13 as we uh, uh, are in week two of our new series, um, first disciple in this series, we're talking about a guy named the Apostle Peter. Uh, and if you had to guess, who do you think was the very first disciple of Jesus? It wasn't Peter. Even though we're talking about him, Peter wasn't technically the first disciple. He was the third disciple. He was the third guy that Jesus said, uh, come follow me to. Uh, and he left everything in his life to follow Jesus. But the reason we're calling this series first disciple is because most of the time when people think of the disciples of Jesus, Peter's the first guy they think of. And they think of him because he's a famous disciple. He's famous for several reasons. One, he has tremendous faith. Two, he was incredibly human. Peter made lots and lots of mistakes and they're documented in scripture and it's really interesting to study those and to look at his life and see the things uh, that he did that were goofy and weird and uh, yet that were also very profound and that were used by God in big, big ways. We relate to, he, to Peter in, a, in a, uh, a very real way and uh, more so than we do most of the other disciples. And uh, uh, many of the other disciples are just a name in scripture and we don't really ever learn anything about their lives. But Peter, we learn a lot about and uh, it's interesting to study the life of Peter and uh, to uh, dive into this, guy. So here we are, first disciple. Last week, we talked about the most important question you will ever answer. You'll be asked this question, and it is important that you answer it, and you can only answer it in one of three ways that we talked about last week. And uh, the question is this, who is Jesus? That's the most important question you'll ever be asked, because if you answer it, when you answer it, your answer will determine the course of the rest of your life. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Lord, then your life is going to be reflected by that. Uh, everything in your life will show that Jesus is your Lord. You're going to change the way that your, your money is managed. You're going to change the way that your time is managed. You're going to change the things that you do in your life uh, and how you spend your time and the, uh, the way that you interact with people. All of that will be affected if Jesus is Lord. The other two alternatives are that Jesus was a liar, and he wasn't really God. He just made it all up to draw crowds to himself and to become famous. But if that's your answer, then what about all the miracles he performed that had tons and tons of eyewitnesses that are documented not just in Scripture but also in other historical texts? What do you do with that? The other alternative would be that Jesus was a lunatic, that he was crazy because, let's face it, if you and I met a guy on the street that we grew up with, we'd known him for a long time, and suddenly he started saying, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of God, we'd think, you're crazy, right? I mean, we would not, would not relate well to that person. And so those are really our only three options when considering who is Jesus. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Now today, we're going to be talking about not the toughest or the most important question you will ever answer, but probably one of the toughest questions you will ever ask. One of the hardest, most difficult questions you will ever ask. I've got some difficult questions I'd like to share with you guys for just a second. Maybe you can help me answer these. Uh, you don't have to do so now, but uh, after church, maybe pull me aside and say, hey, I know the answer to that one. All right? My, my first tough question is this. Why do we put round pizza in square boxes? 
Help me out with that. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, Or how about this one? How is it that we put a man on the moon before we figured out that you could put wheels on luggage? That to me seems like a no-brainer, right? Uh, Or uh, you, you get olive oil when you crush olives. You get corn oil when you crush corn. What happens? How do you get baby oil? (laughs) <laughs> These are the weird things that your pastor thinks of, right? And my favorite tough question is, if you throw a cat out of a moving vehicle, is it kitty litter? <laughs> yeah, people get bent out of shape. I, I tell a lot of cat jokes, and, and cat owners get really, really touchy about their cats. And my answer to you, if you're offended by cat jokes, is lighten up. It's a joke. I'm not throwing cats out of windows, I promise. Uh, no matter how desperately I might want to, uh, I don't do that, and uh, so I, I'm not a huge cat person. Uh, I do like cats, uh, only some cats, and uh, I've had some good cats in my life. I've owned cats, and I, and I had one cat that I'm convinced was the spawn of Satan. Fortunately, that cat finally uh, left us, and uh, I was grateful. The cat would not die, so it just moved on, and uh, I'm glad that it became somebody else's problem. But uh, anyway, uh, if, if you get offended by cats, you're really not going to like me very much, so just buckle up and know that that's coming. Uh, throwing cats out of windows, kitty litter, I just think that's funny. Uh, so anyway, uh, really the tough question that we're talking about today is a serious question, and it is the question, why isn't God fair? Why do unfair and unjust things happen in the world, and why does God allow it? It, it, It's it's something that I call the sinkhole. In a minute, I'm going to show you a graphic uh, to to, to illustrate this after we read from John chapter 13. Uh, But right now, just imagine, if you will, you're driving down a road, and it's a good day. Everything's great. Everything's fantastic. The road looks perfect, and then all of a sudden... The ground falls out from under one of your tires and (coughs) damages your suspension, and there was a sinkhole there, right? Anybody know what a sinkhole is? A sinkhole is one of those things that that happens when water erodes the, the soil or the ground underneath the asphalt or underneath the street. And so under the street, there's a giant gap, a hole. And eventually, the street will, will uh, uh, buckle under the weight of vehicles traveling over it, and the pavement will collapse. And if you've ever seen pictures online of vehicles who were stuck in sinkholes, some sinkholes are big enough to swallow a car. Some of them are just little bitty things that are potholes that are more annoying than anything else. But um, you're driving along, life seems great, and all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, totally didn't see it coming you hit a sinkhole. This happens in our lives all the time. We experience sinkholes, these things that we didn't expect coming, and, and, and here's why we're puzzled by them. Although we didn't see these things coming, God could see them coming. He knows every sinkhole that's going to show up in our lives, and we're forced to wonder, Lord, why don't you do something about these things? If you're good, why don't you stop them from happening? Why do you allow us to go through these difficult things? So things like, here's a sinkhole, the alcoholic who gets drunk and drives and kills three people and walks away from the accident without a scratch. Why isn't God fair? Does that seem fair to you? And yet we hear about it all the time. 
terrorists who fly planes into buildings. Does that seem fair? Did God not know what was going to happen? He's God. He saw it coming. Maybe for you it's that young woman who's promiscuous and gets pregnant several times and has several abortions and you have been trying over and over and over and your spouse to get pregnant and nothing seems to be working and you're like, come on, God, what's the deal? This person who doesn't even want any of these children keeps getting pregnant and we, we want one desperately and Lord, you, you're just not being fair. A tsunami wipes out a village or many villages or cities and kills thousands of people. It doesn't seem fair. Injustice and hunger and suffering and pain and hurt are all very real in our world. And it makes us wonder sometimes, God, why aren't you fair? Now, I'm going to spoil the answer right now. Why isn't God fair? I don't know. I wish I could give you a, a really simple answer. It's a very complicated answer that comes with, at the end of the day, I'm never really going to understand until I stand face to face with God, and then everything's going to be clear. But on this side of eternity, it's going to be fuzzy. We're not going to understand why God doesn't stop every calamity from coming. Now, part of the answer is this. We've sinned and messed up the world. And the world is a broken place. How many of you understand the world is broken? This place is a mess, right? It <laughs> desperately needs Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, because we look around us and things just aren't working. This is why we say we want to be weird because normal isn't working. This world is normal and things are busted and broken and there's all this this crime and evil and bad things that happen and 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 people are in power who shouldn't be in power and bosses have jobs who shouldn't have jobs right and they shouldn't be bosses and yet they are and um uh there are people who who uh, affect the way that we live they do bad things and it impacts us and so sin explains part of the suffering in the world but what do you do with things like natural disasters where nobody's at fault? Why isn't God fair? Why does he let these sinkholes come into our lives? And I want to talk to you today about Peter and a sinkhole that he experienced. In fact, one he was warned about. He was told it was going to happen. Jesus was talking to him one day. Peter, you're going to experience a sinkhole. There's going to be this cataclysmic event in your life that's going to cause you to question everything. And I'm not going to do anything to stop it. And Peter was going, huh? Really? Let's look there at John chapter 13, verses 33 through 38. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let's just pause right there. Jesus 
gives us this great picture of what the church is supposed to be like. The church is supposed to be people who love each other. You are my followers. They're going to know you're my followers by one mark. You love each other. And yet many times when we encounter God's people, what do we find? We find people bellyaching and griping about other churches, other denominations. Well, they don't teach the truth, and we just don't like them because they don't believe exactly the way we believe, and we're going to get all bent out of shape over it, and we're going to gripe about it and complain about it. And then people hear that who aren't believers, and what are they going to think of the Jesus that we serve? They come to a church, and they meet people who gossip. They meet people who gripe about other folks in the church or complain about their pastor or, or some ministry or program that the church is, is, is implementing. What do you think people think when they hear that? Jesus paints a beautiful picture here of how they will know we are God's disciples by the love that we have one for another. So one thing that you'll never hear at Invictus Church is us putting down any other church. Because we're all in this together. There are debatable matters of theology that we may not all agree on, but we all agree on this one thing as Christians. Jesus is the way to heaven, and people desperately need him. And if that's what we're going to focus on, everything's going to be great. Let's be known at Invictus Church for the love that we have for one another. You hear somebody here gossiping, tell them to shut their stinking mouth, okay? You can say that. You can quote me. Here's somebody talking bad about somebody else in our church. Tell them, be quiet. Pastor said so. We don't do that here because we are going to be known by the love that we have for each other. Now, that's just a little mini sermon that had nothing to do with today's talk. But let's go ahead and move on. Here we go. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked the Lord, Lord, where are you going? I think it's funny that he asked that. Jesus just said, I'm going somewhere. You can't come with me. And Peter's like, where are you going? Come on, dude, really? Um, and, and Jesus replied, you can't go with me. <laughs> I just said this, <laughs> but you will follow me later. You're going to come with me at another time. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times, or deny three times that you even knew me. Peter there's going to be this sinkhole coming that is going to make you question everything. Your faith is going to be in such doubt, you're, you're going to deny that you even knew me. And I'm not going to do anything to stop it. Peter's warned that this is going to happen, and he's like, wait a minute, what? Hold on just a second. Tells him you're, you're, you're going to be a chicken. You're going to cow. Today you say you'll die for me. You're being all brave and bold, but that's not going to last. So what, is, what does that look like in our lives um, when these unfair things happen? I want to show you an illustration here on this screen behind me. Um, uh, this is the way I illustrate the sinkhole. You're cruising along in life. Everything's going great, and the bottom falls out, and you sink way down, and then... What happens when you're in this pit, when you're in the hole? 
all right? Imagine it this way. Uh, a person, maybe you, you come to know Jesus, and you become a follower of Christ here at this first X here, and everything is great, man. You're cruising along. God is blessing you. Suddenly, uh, you read the Bible, and it starts making sense to you for the first time. You know, a lot of people, they, they read the Bible and say, oh, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. And then when they become a Christian, all of a sudden, with the Holy Spirit inside them, when they read the Bible, this amazing book comes to life, and they're like, it makes sense for the first time. This is awesome. Man, things are great. The road ahead is looking fantastic. And then you go to Walmart, and, and it's crazy, crazy day. I mean, there's just everybody's there. It's payday, and everybody's shopping for groceries, and there's not a parking space in the whole lot, and you pull in, and there's one empty place right up at the front. And it's like, oh, the Lord has, has, is with me. He's given me a parking place. He's so great. You go inside and the place is packed. There's hardly any buggies and little carts there. And there's one left just for you. Oh, the Lord provided it. He saved it for, just for me. You go back to find the item that you're looking for and they're completely sold out except for one. God saved it just for you, right? And things are so good. Man, I've followed Jesus and, and, and life is great. I'm seeing him work everywhere, even in Walmart. You go to check out and there's nobody in a line. There's somebody standing there just opening up, and they're saying, next person right here. And you get to go out, and you're, you're fast. You get in your car. You're going home. And, man, it, things are great. God is good. God's doing all this fantastic stuff, and you're reaching this high point in your life where, man, the worship songs always seem to be exactly what you needed to sing. And the message at church every week seems like it's exactly for you. And you're like, man, this, it's like God is everywhere. Everywhere I look, he's showing his face. And then, as you round the top of this hill, the sinkhole happens. You get a phone call. And a dear friend or a family member has a diagnosis that's terminal. You lose your job. Or you're diagnosed with something awful. Or your kid calls and has news that is just beyond what you ever thought you would hear come out of your child's mouth. Your spouse says, I want to leave you. Boom. The sinkhole hits. We call this a crisis of faith because it's a crisis that makes us question our faith and we fall down here in this hole the sinkhole now there's three things that you can do when you're in the sinkhole three ways that you can respond you can respond by ignoring what's going on and just pretending everything's fantastic let's say I'm going to go back to, to point two here uh, I want to go back to the top of the hill and just imagine that nothing's wrong and, and just, you know, run around all the time and, and um, uh, you know, just act like there's nothing really wrong. You ever met somebody that's delusional like that? It's not healthy, is it? They just, everything's falling around them, but they don't ever, they're not real about it. They're not like, yeah, you know, God is good, but life right now kind of stinks, Everything's falling down around them, but they're like, God is good. Nothing's wrong. Really? That, that's not healthy. That's not normal behavior. That's one way that we can respond. Another way to respond is to go all the way back here to point one. 
and go all the way back to the beginning and say, okay, forget this. Um, God's not doing what I expected him to do. God's not doing what I wanted him to do. Bad things are happening, and uh, I'm checking out of this. Forget it. I'm just not going to believe anymore. Or you can push through and try to move on to a new higher place here in this fourth X, this fourth mark on the graph. Well, how do you get there? That's what we want to talk about today. How do we get there? Here, here's what I want you to write down. Write this down. God will often shake you in order to make your foundation stronger. Your foundation of your faith can sometimes be questioned. Satan will crawl up on your shoulder like the little devil in the cartoons. And it'll be like, God doesn't really like you. He doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really have all power. He doesn't really have everything under control. God's not really all that great. He's going to try to chip away at that foundation. But the Lord can use the same problem that Satan is trying to capitalize on to make that foundation even firmer in your life if you let him. If you push through the dip, through the sinkhole, on to what God has next. God will often shake you in order to make your foundation stronger. The Apostle Peter uh, had some interesting responses, interesting actions that he took. Uh, in the midst of his sinkhole. Let's look at his sinkhole real quick. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Then we're going to skip ahead a little bit to John 18, 25 through 27. And then we're going to look at the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 26, verse 75. So let's look at John 18, 15 through 18 real quick. Simon Peter did what? He did what? He followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. So two disciples followed Jesus at this point. What is this point? This is the point at which Jesus has been arrested, uh, and he's in a kangaroo court. It's uh, false charges. They're uh, trying to, to find an excuse, the powers that be, the religious leaders of the time, trying to find an excuse to kill Jesus. They want him dead. And they've arrested Jesus. In fact, when they arrested Jesus, the apostle Peter, um, trying to be bold and brave like he had told Jesus, I'll even die for you. Uh, They came to arrest Jesus, and and he pulls out a knife or a short sword, and uh, he swings at a guy, probably trying to cut off his head, and the guy ducks, and Peter lops off his ear. And Jesus, peacefully, instead of saying, yeah, Peter, go, let's fight, peacefully, Jesus reaches down in the dirt, he picks up the ear, And he puts it back on the guy's head and heals him. And then he puts his hands out there ready for handcuffs. He lets them take him away. Jesus goes peacefully. Now, Peter and the disciples are shaken by this. Jesus has been arrested. Uh, Everything that they've been doing for the last three years, they've been committing their life to Jesus. They gave up their livelihoods for him. They've done everything for him. And all of a sudden, he's taken away. Sinkhole occurs. And Peter and only one other disciple continued following Jesus at this point. 
Everybody else checked out. Everybody else took off. So Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples, and then it continues. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he, allowed, he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. And then the scripture goes on to describe more of Jesus' trial. And Jesus is on trial, and, and they're finding a way to kill him. They're doing everything in their power to trip Jesus up. And it continues then in John 18, 25. Meanwhile... As Simon Peter was standing by the fire, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose, Peter's, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. What Jesus said came true. And then in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, when we look at Matthew, it tells, he, uh, Matthew tells the same story from a different perspective, but here's the end of Matthew's story, Matthew 26, 75. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, and he went outside and wept bitterly. Now there's two things that Peter did here that are very uh, important for us to note. So I want you to write these things down. Two things that Peter did while he was in this sinkhole that are good things for us to do as well. All right? He did a bad thing, didn't he? He denied Jesus. So that's obvious. That, that's what most people look at when they look at this passage. And they're going, all right, we'll just, you know, don't deny Jesus. And, uh, that's easy for us to say, hard for us to do. But there's a couple of things that Peter did here that I think are important for us to pay very careful attention to that can actually help us uh, when we are in our sinkhole. Peter, first of all, he still followed Jesus. When everybody else ran away, what did Peter do? He still followed Jesus. When he was in the sinkhole, he decided, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus even though it's risky. So he had enough faith to do that. He didn't have enough faith to fess up and own up and say to these people, yeah, it turns out I am one of his disciples. What of it? He didn't do that. He, he did cave under the pressure. One of the reasons we like Peter so much is because he's so human. We probably would have done the same thing. Maybe worse. Maybe we wouldn't have followed Jesus to begin with. Maybe we'd have been like the other disciples and just not showed up. But Peter still chose to follow Jesus. When you're in the sinkhole, when you feel like, I can't make it under this pressure anymore, keep following Jesus. How do you get from the bottom of that hole to the next point, the next high point, you got to keep following Jesus. 
no matter how hard it gets, no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult and frustrating it is, continue following Jesus. The second thing Peter did that you need to write down is that he struggled under the pressure. Well, obviously, right? I mean, the guy struggled, and it's okay. Notice the Bible doesn't condemn the fact that this guy had a crisis of faith. The Bible doesn't say, oh, it's so bad that Peter had his doubts. Peter doubted his, his faith. He doubted Jesus. He doubted everything at this point. And boy, woe is Peter. Scripture never once tells us not to doubt. Not in the sense that it's a sin to doubt. Did you know it's not a sin to doubt? It's not. In fact, think of it this way. Without doubt, you can't have faith. Right? You can't experience faith, real belief in something, unless there was some kind of doubt to overcome. And so it's okay to experience doubt. It's okay to have your doubts and to be frustrated and to be hurt and to be sad and to be discouraged and to be down it's okay to be afraid a lot of times we, we have this pressure I think as Christians um, because scripture tells us 365 times one for every day of the year in the Bible we find a, a phrase that says do not fear or do not be afraid or fear not or something like that so scripture tells us not to be afraid 365 times. And many times I've heard people say, well, it's a command from scripture. You're not to be afraid. And if you're afraid, you're a sinner. I don't believe for a second that that's the way God intended us to understand the words, don't be afraid. Have you ever had a child who was scared at night, scared of the dark? What did you do? You kicked open the door, you turned on the light, and you said, shut up, don't be afraid. Is that what you did? If I hear you cry one more time, you're going to get a whooping. Was that what you did? No, you have a child that's scared of the dark, and what do you do? You go in and you comfort them, put your arms around them, and you say, don't be afraid. Not as a chastising, it's bad to be afraid, but as it's okay to be afraid, but you don't need to be. It's meant as an encouragement. When God speaks to us 365 times in the Bible, don't be afraid. He's saying it as a loving father. How do I know that? Because that's who he is. And he doesn't change. He loves us, and he's encouraging us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, when Scripture does tell us, don't doubt, it's always in the context of don't let your doubts overcome you. It's not in the context, of, oh, it's bad to doubt. If you have doubts, there's something wrong with you. A lot of times we feel guilty about our doubting. But I want you to know today, it's okay to experience doubt. It's okay to struggle when you're in the sinkhole. 
It's okay to wrestle with God's goodness and to wonder, why didn't he do something about this? And it's okay to tell God, Lord, I don't think this is fair. Did you know he's got pretty big shoulders? I think he can take it when we question him. I don't think he's offended by it. Weak people are easily offended. Is God weak? No. The Lord says, just don't let your doubt overcome you. It's okay to struggle in the middle of your sinkhole. Peter shows us this. The scripture shows us this in the life of Peter that Peter wasn't condemned for his behavior. In fact, later, we're going to find out Jesus, or Peter wasn't even condemned for denying Jesus. But that's going to be next week. What's your sinkhole? What sinkhole are you experiencing in your life or have you experienced in your life? That has caused you to have that kind of crisis of faith. For me, uh, one of my sinkholes in life is related to my career as a pastor. I I became a a vocational minister. That means somebody who works for churches uh, when I was 18 years old. And uh, this was in 1990. And for those of you who are trying to do the math, I'll make it simple for you. I'm 46. All right. So uh, I was 20 or I was 18 years old and I started working at my very first church. And um, uh, things were going great. Uh, my career in ministry was taking off, and things were going well. And uh, over the course of years, eventually I became a pastor at a church in Oklahoma City that is now the largest church in America. Uh, at the time when I was there, we grew to become the second largest church in America. And um, so I, I had a tremendous ministry experience that very, very few people ever get. I was on the executive team of this church. I was not the lead pastor. Uh, our lead pastor is a guy named Craig Rochelle. It's a church called Life Church. And uh, I got to work with Craig, and I was on the executive uh, uh, level there at the church, uh, working with other executive pastors uh, and Craig's leadership team, and uh, setting the direction for this entire organization. The church had grown in the four years that I was there from 9,000 people. Think about this. From 9,000 to 28,000 people in four years. Uh, Now the church is running over 100,000 people in 30 different locations. Uh, It's remarkable. Uh, Literally, literally hundreds and hundreds of people are coming to know Jesus every single week at this church. And that's where I was on staff. And I was learning and it was building my resume. And people wanted to know what I knew. And so I was being invited to speak at conferences and uh, uh, to influence other churches. I, I began consulting And working with churches all over the country, I have flown from one side of this country to the other and worked with churches of all sizes and uh, from tiny churches that nobody's ever heard of to huge churches that uh, most Christians know about. Uh, And um, I've worked with just all across the gamut. My my career was taking off. I'd become pastor of a church in Oklahoma called New Life Bible Church. 
uh, where uh, in the six years that I was there, God had done some amazing things. We were getting ready to start our second location. The church had become debt-free. We were seeing people come to know Jesus in our church every single week. The church was growing. Things were blowing and going. Everything was great. On paper, my resume looked as good as it could look. And then my dad died. My dad was one of my closest friends. The biggest influence in my life was my father. And 13 months later, my best friend, 42 years old, dropped dead of a heart attack. And I began to experience something I'd never experienced before, which was clinical depression. And the church that I was working for, even though everything was going well and going in the right direction, the elders of the church decided to fire me because of my depression. Instead of saying, we're with you, we're going to support you in this, they let me go and said, go ahead and take care of this on your own. The sinkhole just kept getting worse and deeper and more painful. And for two years, I went through that dip. For two years, although my resume looked great, Nobody wanted to hire the guy who went crazy. Just saying. The guy who got so depressed he couldn't handle it. Nobody wanted to hire that guy. And so I went through a two-year season of very real doubt. Hard questions. Lord, why did you call me to ministry only to lead me to this? How could you let this happen, Lord? Was my calling even real? When I was 17 years old, I felt like you were calling me to ministry, and I said yes, but was it just some kind of a cruel joke? Because here I am, maybe I got to start over. Do I need to sell insurance? Do I need to sell something else? Do I need to go into some kind of business? Do I need to just walk away from ministry altogether? could have gone back to the beginning and said, forget it. I'm just going to create a whole new path. And said, no more ministry for Alan. I could have just been in the sinkhole and pretended there was nothing wrong. I'm delusional and everything's great, but that certainly wouldn't have helped my mental struggles, would it? And emotional struggles, would it? What I had to do was keep pushing through, keep following Jesus. No matter how long it took, no matter how long the dip was, no matter how deep it went, keep following Jesus and recognize that it's okay to struggle. And today I'm on the other side of that. Today I'm pastor here at your church, and I wouldn't be at this point, I wouldn't be on the other side of that sinkhole if I hadn't made the conscious decision to see it through. Where are you today? You may be at this point where you're trying to figure out what am I going to do next? Am I just going to check out and go back to the beginning and start over, do something different? 
am I going to find out what the Lord has for me on the other side of this? Am I going to keep following Jesus? And am I going to just be okay with the fact that struggle is real and it's all right for me to have my doubts? You see, God shows up in our doubts. You know the greatest thing about light is you're most keenly aware of it when you're in the dark. You walk outside at noon and everything's bright, you're not having any trouble seeing, you're not thinking about the light generally unless it's right in your eyes. But if you're in the dark, you're fumbling around and stumbling around and trying to see and trying to figure out where you're going and trying to navigate, and then somebody pulls out a phone and turns on that little light of theirs, it changes everything, doesn't it? We're most keenly aware of the light when we're in the dark. We can only be, almost become just uh, desensitized to its presence in the light when it's really bright out. And God's light shines brightest in the darkness. So are you in the middle of that sinkhole today? Are you so deep that you can't even see the sun? There's a promise in Scripture. The Lord says, I will never leave you I will never forsake you. He is the light of life and he is present with you in the middle of your darkness. Maybe you're saying, well, where's the light? It's right here, this this story I shared with you today from the book of John and the book of Matthew. This story about Peter. It's a little bit of light. It may not be much, but it's a little bit. And a little bit of light in pitch darkness is a whole lot better than none. What little light there is, reach for it. Hang on to it. Cling to it. It can get you through the night. Where are you right now with the Lord? In your sinkhole. Today, make the decision. I'm going to see this through with you, Lord, because you are shaking my world in order to build a stronger foundation for my life. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church/give. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.